Welcome to episode 358 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we feature a conversation with writer Tara L. Marta. She has a book being published, her first novel, this coming May, titled Look Back to Yesterday. We talk a bit about some of her childhood heroes and how she grew up realizing that writing is what was most important to her, which writers inspire her. We talk a bit about the difference between male and female writers, anger and hatred in our society, social media, the importance of reading, and the power to change things that individuals have, among other things, too. A great conversation with Tara L. Marta. We also have an EWSA titled Queer, and our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, reads a few works by Oscar Wilde. We also have a poem called The Rub by yours truly. All of this, as is always the case, is infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so wonderful to have you with us. Let's get to it, why don't we? Episode 358 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
I once worked in a bakery when I was a teen, cutting the tops of small American football-shaped pieces of dough, lightly with a razor blade, so that they did not explode when they were rolled as they sat in rows of five by eights atop cornmeal-covered peels on steel racks into the proof box to rise and be ready for the ovens. Those little masterpieces are called French rolls. I was paid under the table and spent that money above board to gas up my Ford Maverick for cigarettes and beer and some mom-and-pop hoagie shop hoagies by day or neighborhood pizza shop trays at night, sitting on the dock in the bay aligned with the block ice truck attached to the novelty store newsstand, talking about nothing as we dreamed about everything, knowing in this place a person needs to get moving or you are just plain in the way. The matter at hand was more about how you were planning on making your play. Are you going to align yourself with a good clan that might get you access to jobs and favors? Are you educating yourself past high school? Will you be a part of the local glam scene whilst you prod and preen? Are you taking to the highway and getting that fine backside and thick head of hair out of town? The bigger dream. Now I am back, Jack. Been so for a while. It is quite likely I never truly left. Bereft, I find myself, and sadly adrift on a metaphysical sea of uncertainty about myself. 
I think it's because of all of the false pretext and thwarted protests fueled by this human urge to be secure and yet to conquer too. Where do I go from here, boo? I'm feeling a bit queer, my dear. Pour toi. 
Serre-moi dans tes bras, je sentirai pour Je t'aime, toi aussi tu dois m'aimer. Si tu savais combien je t'aime, toi aussi tu dois Tara L. Marta, is that you? Yes, it is. Hi, it's nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, EW Conundrum here. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Before we get started, I just want to mention to the folks that uh, Tara L. Marta is a writer, among other things. Originally from Brooklyn and uh, moved to Pennsylvania back in 1985. And her first novel is to be published this May. It's titled... Look Back to Yesterday. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how you became a writer, I suppose, and uh, what influences you, and a little bit about the book as well. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, as you said, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I lived there till I was about nine years old. And from the time I could remember, I wanted to be a writer. I first wanted to be a singer like Dolly Parton, who was very much um, my hero growing up. I wanted to be an actress, but nothing seemed to quite fit like writing. I was too shy to be on the stage. I can't sing. So it seemed like writing was the path. And once I moved to Pennsylvania in 1985, when I was nine, um, I still continued to write. I got my first typewriter. I used to pretend I was a reporter write up news stories, poems, plays, and it just kind of grew from there. And uh, did you feel like, 
becoming a writer was was within your grasp, or was it more of a fantasy? I think it was more of a hobby for a long time for me. Um, when I was a, a sophomore in high school, I had a great English teacher, and at that point I thought, you know, someday when I go on to college, I'd like to be an English major and study um, all the great literature, because I love classic literature. Unfortunately, I did not go to college right after high school. I decided to take a year off, which became two and eventually 15. Hmm. But during that time, when I was about 21, it was one of my aunts, my great aunt Anna, who lived in Florida that I kept in touch with. She said to me, you know, you love writing so much and you do it so often. I think this is your path. Have you ever thought about being a writer for real? And of course, I didn't know anything about it. You know, how to how do you do that? How do you become a writer? So I really didn't uh, pay much attention to what she said, except I was flattered that she thought I could do it. But she seemed so adamant that I was going to be a writer someday. And uh, she, she basically had my life mapped out for me. She said, someday I think you'll go to college, you'll study writing, and I think you'll be a writer. So it was interesting how she knew long before I really did. Oh, and that's so important, right? I mean, because oftentimes when someone says they want to be a writer or a singer or an actor, you know, not an engineer or a teacher or a lawyer, doctor, people in their family will dissuade them, you know, say, oh, well, that's a hard path. And, you know, maybe you should get something more practical for you to have that sort of uh, support from a family member is, is big. Yeah, my father also was, um, I had lost my mom when I was 12 years old, but my parents were the type of people who would encourage me no matter what. If I had a dream, as long as I was passionate about that dream, they would encourage me. But I have met people through the years, especially in college, when I was uh, going to Penn State as an English major, my classmates wanted to be writers, and their parents were, just as you said, they would dissuade them, and uh, and I had my share of negative comments, too, when I finally decided to go to college. Well, when you went uh, to college, and before that, too, were there any uh, particular writers that really sort of inspired you, uh, took you to places that uh, made you love the the uh, idea of being a writer even more? I had always looked up to the classic writers like Louisa May Alcott and Willa Cather and I particularly love them because they really stepped outside the realm of uh, what they were expected to do. Of course I'm from a different era so you could be a writer in my time but in their time it was really looked down upon but they seem to defy convention and, and just go on the path and not listen to all the negativity. And that really inspired me because, like I said, I, I did endure my share of uh, negativity along the way. And you're talking about, in particular, being a, a, a woman and, and being a writer. Is that what you mean? Yes. And do you consider yourself uh, at this point uh, in that way? I mean, do you think it's a, dis uh, a distinctive... Um, sort of category or, or realm that uh, a female or a male inhabits as a writer, or is that not really important? I mean, I don't think it's as important as it was in the days of the classic female writers, but certainly 
it still resonates a little. There are still people who think, you know, I'm a single woman, just like Louisa May Alcott was, just like Willa Cather. And I've had comments, you know, when are you getting married? When are you going to do? So the idea of just wanting a career and wanting to embark as a writer on a path of a writer, I think it is still a little bit perplexing to others who don't understand that. Do, do you think um, coming uh, to certain themes, uh, stories, uh, from a, uh, a female perspective, uh, given a unique experience that a woman has as compared to uh, coming to those same themes or uh, a sort of story from a male perspective, is is indeed uh, a difference or, or is it more just it's human? Um, I think there is a little bit of a difference because I, honest, obviously as a gender, we understand one another, females, and we could learn from one another, even past generations. Yeah, and I, I suppose there are certain uh, unique struggles, unique challenges, unique uh, um, sort of interactions with the larger world if you're a woman, if you're a male, and then if we can go on to other areas as, as well, that uh, it can't be replicated uh, with just imagination as much or at all as it could be found or understood from direct experience, right? Right. Is that what you do? Do you write about what you have experienced more so than anything? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there are some times when I have to step outside my comfort zone and write about things that I haven't and just let my imagination get the better of me. But with my first novel, that's definitely from a lot of experience. Yeah, let's go there. Look Back to Yesterday is the title. It's going to be published this coming May. Uh, and what what it, what is it about? Is it is it totally fiction? Is it uh, autobiographical? It's fiction, but I think there are, there are definitely elements of my life um, imbued throughout the story, and it concerns a 33 year old woman named Rebecca who is having a terrible time dealing with, uh, she just lost her father, broke up with her boyfriend, John, and she can't move on. She's somebody who lives in the past, and at the heart of her inability to move on is the death of her mother when she was nine and when she was living in Brooklyn. Up until this point, Rebecca's now living with, had been living in Pennsylvania, a small town in PA with her father, and up until that point, she had never been back to Brooklyn. Once she left with her father, she never returned. But when her father dies, she's presented with the task of having to spread his ashes over her mother's grave in Brooklyn. So this forces her to have to go back. While she's on the bus from Pennsylvania to New York, she encounters somebody known as the stranger, whom she never really finds out who this person is or what he is. Um, and he seems to know a lot about her and a lot about her experience. And he follows her throughout the novel to try to help her to cope with the past. Now, once Rebecca gets to New York, she gets on the subway to go back to Brooklyn and falls asleep on the train. And when she wakes, she finds herself back in the year 1980. And she comes into contact with her family, uh, a former babysitter, and also herself as a child. So these circumstances lead her to believe that she could somehow alter the past 
and save her mother from an untimely death, but she soon discovers that really the only person she could save is herself. Wow. Wow, and that, you know, that is a, an idea uh, that a lot of folks, I'm sure, uh, sort of imagine or fantasize about being able to go back and, and change things so that they would, you know, your life would work out better at, uh, in the future or at present. And it sounds to me like you may have indeed struggled how long to, to like deal with some of these issues, given it, it's so intimately connected to your own experience, it sounds like. How, how long did it take you uh, to, to write this? Well, I actually started in 2009. My father passed away in 2008, and I had just lost my maternal grandmother right before my dad. And I was feeling kind of vulnerable, had always struggled with my grief over the death of my mother. I was 12 when my mom died, and I had just started college at Lackawanna College when the idea hit me to to write about my feelings and put those feelings down on paper and that's really how it began so I started it I think about 2009 I finished the first draft in maybe I think 2011 and then I didn't really work on it any anymore until I went to a graduate school at Wilkes University and that's when it became my thesis and I start working on it even more and more seriously and and through the the years that you uh struggled uh maybe with some of the like we all do uh challenges of just being alive being a human being through the novel what what, you had an opportunity to really reflect and uh you know analyze i I would imagine uh your, your life um did you learn much about who you are while writing this or what what life is all about while writing this yeah i mean i was aware of the pain that I had had, having not really, you know, when you lose a parent at any age, it's a difficult time, but it's more so when you're a child, it seems to be a little more traumatic because you lose that time with that person. I never really knew my mother as an adult. In fact, there's a line in the in the novel that says, I knew the mother, I never knew the woman. And that's so true. So that really affected me on a profound level. But it wasn't until writing the novel that all of these feelings started to come out. And when I would read some of it back to myself, I would think, wow, you know, this is more than just a character. This, this must be how I really felt deep down when I was a kid and not always aware of those feelings. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but are, are there opportunities for you to, to have conversations with... Uh, your parents through the novel? Oh yes, Rebecca does come into contact with her parents in the novel and she does have a a relationship. They do not know who she is, they have no idea and also she has a very, which I hope readers will find a very unique relationship with herself as a child. She and the child, adult Rebecca and little Rebecca, do not get along. There's some kind of rivalry between them which I think the readers should find pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting. So, are you right now as you're waiting to get the book published? Uh, you're just you're sitting around independently wealthy, right? You don't have to work. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so, how do you make ends meet now as a writer? I'm a substitute teacher, so that's what I've mainly been doing. Ah, uh, substitute teaching, and uh, 
And are you working on new projects, or are you just focusing on getting this book out so that uh, a lot of a lot of uh, people get a chance to read it? No, I've actually started on two different projects. Um, another novel called Seeing is Deceiving, which I really haven't worked out the plot to that yet. I'm also working on my first nonfiction book, which is more like a motivational book, um, also dealing with I'm a very faithful person. My faith has helped me through a lot. So I decided to write about my faith and how that helped me along the way on my journey, just in hopes of motivating other individuals who may be struggling or who may want to follow their dreams. Um, uh, religious, I suppose, Christianity, I suppose? Yes. And um, as, as the time has gone on, you know, uh, you, you seem like someone who is very focused. And uh, at the same time, I can tell that, you know, based on the fact that you're exploring so many of these issues, uh, that, um, again, all of we humans uh, try to understand through your writing. Um, is it is it sort of something that when you write and, and the way you, you go through your day-to-day, are, are you trying to better understand for your for yourself are you trying to connect uh with you know the larger human world you, uh, you know you have your faith that also guides you how, how do you see all of this coming together you know you have tara l marta you have the characters in your book you have uh the the different choices and avenues uh that are helping guide your your journey in life how, how does this all come together Well, I think as a writer, one of the main things that all writers will tell you is that writing is really an exploration into the human condition. I think we do try to understand what not only we go through, but others, and try to put those uh, feelings and emotions into words so that we could all better understand, because I think we each learn from one another. And what a writer essentially does is hold up a mirror to mankind and say, look, this is who we are. This is what we are. This is where we need work. This is how we need to change. I think uh, a lot of people are influenced by what they read, and it's important to, you know, read things that are healthy, but also things that will make you think, make you change. And what would you say? That's excellent. Well put. What What do you think um, t- today, in your in your sense of the world, are some of the bigger challenges we we face? Well, I think definitely we have a lot of anger, especially right now in our culture, in society. Um, there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of I'm better than this person, and this one's better than me, and, and we seem to be just at at odds with one another on a constant um, daily basis. And I think that's one of the issues that we really need to look at and work on and Hopefully, maybe I'll write something to that effect one of these days. Uh, I tried writing something at one point about it, but it just it's really hard to do. It's really hard to get all of those emotions out because I see what's going on in the world. And like everybody else, I really don't like what I see. I think we need to come together. We only have so much time in this world. We need to figure it out and work on our uh, work on ourselves and our relationships with others. Are you talking about um, more close to home, like in the United States or, or internationally, some of the things that that uh, are troubling you in the way that we're behaving? No, I mean right at, right at home. 
right at home. So more, yeah, 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 like the political scene in particular, I suppose. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. What What do you think is the root of all this anger and hatred? I don't know. I wish I had the answer to that. I mean, I, I think for some of it, we have been given a platform. I mean, I hate, I, I use social media. I hate to blame social media for a lot of it, but I think that social media does play a part. It gives everybody a platform. And I see people who older than myself, middle-aged going on there, sharing these pictures and these insults and hurting one another. And I think back to my mother and my father who were long gone before social media came to be. And I, I think about how they would never be able to understand how we've come to this, that we're taking the time instead of using social media as a positive tool, we're on there hurting one another and seeing who can get even with the next person. I don't think past generations would ever be able to understand this, this new medium of hate that we've created. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have to agree with you there, you know, and, and there is a potential. And I think oftentimes it does act as a means for people to truly connect in a positive way. Uh, but Maybe, I, I mean, it seems there might be more negative uh, coming out of it, too. You know, I, I'm not sure myself. I'm still perplexed. Some days I love it because, again, of how it allows us to connect. Uh, but other days, yeah, it's just used poorly. It's used right. poorly. Um, do you think, do you, do you get concerned that as a writer, uh, that this sort of mis- directed uh, energy uh, maybe this uh, set of distractions quick fix short-term attention span can hurt the future of of, of novelists of, of writers and, and books being enjoyed and purchased and, and the like you mean like with the electronic readers and all of those kinds of things no, just people not even having the attention span to read anything long you know they oh, just yeah. you know are wanting to go and yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, I especially, I don't know about older people and middle-aged people, but definitely today's youth. I, you know, I hope that it's not affecting them, but as a substitute teacher, you know, sometimes I'll ask the kids, and I teach uh, from kindergarten up until 12th grade, so I'll ask them, you know, who likes to read, which, and they really don't. Nobody raises their hand, and it's interesting because they're not supposed to have their phones in school, and they do, and they're on them 24-7, so they're not reading anything lengthy or of any kind of importance they do want the quick read and you know unfortunately communication skills deteriorate because of that um, and intelligence levels I think in some ways because I hear some of the conversation going on with today's youth and it's just so different from even when I was growing up oh gosh yeah oh yeah and, and um, when when you're looking at then the future what for yourself as an individual, you look at society, you seem like a hopeful person. Obviously, faith has a lot to do uh, as well with what uh, sort of uh, keeps you uh, inspired. Um, what, how, how do you uh, look to the future? What do you see? What do you see coming? And how, as a, as a person who has a few people listening to them right now, what would you say to, to folks that are getting a little discouraged about being alive and what the future holds? 
I would say to keep hanging in there. You know, I've had a lot of negative things said to me through the years, not only about, uh, well, about my writing career, but also I've had people say when I keep a, a, a hopeful outlook, I've had someone say to me, well, you really can't change anything, so there's no use in trying. But that is such a false attitude to have because if one person couldn't change things, we wouldn't have these wonderful people that we look back on, Martin Luther King Jr., for example, Robert Kennedy, all the people who have made a difference throughout time. One person can, and I, I would hope that those people out there who do want to change things keep to it. You can make a difference, even if it's one person. I agree. I agree, Tara L. Marta. I agree with you. It, 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 is, it is difficult sometimes, though, to, to keep yourself... Uh, I don't know, inspired and motivated. That's the hardest part, uh, yeah, isn't it? I mean, for a couple of reasons. So, sometimes it's a, it's a personal uh, uh, situation where you just have your own esteem issues and, and fears and the like. And then you look outside and, and you could get really discouraged when you see the oftentimes um, meanness and... and uh, selfishness uh, of, of other folks um, when you know that there's so much that could be happening in, in a positive sense if we work together uh, I don't know I mean I'm, I'm a bit older than you and uh, I have my good days and my bad days and reading a good book though for me it, it truly does inspire it, it, re it really does uh, uh, help you see what the soul and the intellect of, of, of humanity is at its best and uh, I, I, I look forward to seeing how you uh, develop as an individual and a writer in the, in the, uh, in the future. And uh, I wish you the best with your new book, Look Back to Yesterday. Um, it, it, it's a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure. And uh, uh, keep us posted with the, with the, next, with the next project. I will, definitely. Thank you. And if anybody would like to get in, in uh, contact, you know, follow what you're doing, do you have any, any uh, social media? We were just talking about it. And, uh, do, you, do you have any social media contact information? Yeah, I'm actually on Twitter, at Tara Lynn Marta. And I also have an author page on Facebook, Tara Lynn Marta Author. Excellent. All right. Well, take care, and uh, we'll be talking with you again soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.
Phrases and Philosophies for the Use of the Young by Oscar Wilde The first duty in life is to be as artificial as possible. What the second duty is, no one has yet discovered. Wickedness is a myth invented by good people to account for the curious attractiveness of others. If the poor only had profiles, there would be no difficulty in solving the problem of poverty. Those who see any difference between soul and body have neither. A really well-made buttonhole is the only link between art and nature. Religions die when they have proved to be true. Science is the record of dead religions. The well-bred contradict other people. The wise contradict themselves. Nothing that actually occurs is of the smallest importance. Dullness is the coming of age of seriousness. In all unimportant matters, style, not sincerity, is the essential. In all important matters, style, not sincerity, is the essential. If one tells the truth, one is sure, sooner or later, to be found out. Pleasure is the only thing one should live for. Nothing ages like happiness. It is only by not paying one bills that one can hope to live in the memory of the commercial classes. No crime is vulgar, but all vulgarity is crime. Vulgarity is the conduct of others. Only the shallow know themselves. Time is a waste of money. One should always be a little improbable. There is a fatality about all good resolutions. They are invariably made too soon. The only way to atone for being occasionally a little overdressed is by being always absolutely overeducated. 
To be premature is to be perfect. Any preoccupation with ideas of what is right or wrong in conduct shows an arrested intellectual development. Ambition is the last refuge of the failure. A truth ceases to be true when more than one person believes in it. In examinations, the foolish ask questions that the wise cannot answer. Greek dress was in its essence inartistic. Nothing should reveal the body but the body. One should either be a work of art or wear a work of art. It is only the superficial qualities that last. Man's deeper nature is soon found out. Industry is the root of all ugliness. The ages live in history through their anachronisms. It is only the gods who taste death. Apollo has passed away, but Hyacinth, whom men say he slew, lives on. Nero and Narcissus are always with us. The old believe everything. The middle age suspect everything. The young know everything. The condition of perfection is idleness. The aim of perfection is youth. Only the great masters of style ever succeeded in being obscure. There is something tragic about the enormous number of young men there are in England at the present moment who start life with perfect profiles and end by adopting some useful profession. To love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. And now a hidden special treat for you. F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, an excerpt. Shh, don't tell anyone. I see you're looking at my cuff buttons. I hadn't been looking at them, but I did now. They were composed of oddly familiar pieces of ivory. Finest specimens of human molars, he informed me. Well, I inspected them. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah, he flipped his sleeves up under his coat. Yeah, Gatsby's very careful about women. He would never so much as look at a friend's wife. When the subject of this instinctive trust returned to the table and sat down, Mr. Wolfsheim drank his coffee with a jerk and got to his feet. I have enjoyed my lunch, he said, and I'm going to run off from you two young men before I outstay my welcome. Don't hurry, Meyer, said Gatsby without enthusiasm. Mr. Wolfsheim raised his hand in a sort of benediction. You're very polite, but I belong to another generation, he announced solemnly. You sit here and discuss your sports and your young ladies and your... He supplied an imaginary noun with another wave of his hand. As for me, I am fifty years old, and I won't impose myself on you any longer. As he shook hands and turned away, his tragic nose was trembling. I wondered if I had said anything to offend him. He becomes very sentimental sometimes, explained Gatsby. This is one of his sentimental days. He's quite a character around New York, a denizen of Broadway. Who is he anyhow, an actor? Nope. A dentist? Meyer Wolfsheim? No, he's a gambler. 
Gatsby hesitated, then added coolly, He's the man who fixed the World Series back in 1919. Fixed the World Series, I repeated. The idea staggered me. I remembered, of course, that the World Series had been fixed in 1919, but if I had thought of it at all, I would have thought of it as a thing that merely happened, the end of some inevitable chain. It never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people, with the single-mindedness of a burglar blowing a safe. How did he happen to do that? I asked after a minute. He just saw the opportunity. Why isn't he in jail? They can't get him old, sport. He's a smart man. We bathe in the blood moon in Berlin Make out in cathedrals Montreal to Madrid In fallen water Brush our skin across the bed The Messiah volcano Paints our faces in red Now the landscape in your eye Is a desert of defeat I want to stay But I'll turn to leave Tonight we'll abandon All we share Deep sleep and pretend we don't care I'd hate to put us up against yesterday I guess what can't be close must be
tremor, I feel the stillness growing. The rub. We speak, we write, we fight, we sob, we love. Dark as a panther, as innocent as a dove. From the depths of nothing, now here, looking at the blue sky above, wherein does lie the rub? And there you 
have it. Episode 358 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Tara L. Marta. Good luck with the book coming out in May. Our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis. Oscar Wilde. And these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Radiohead, Bobacher Traore, Patti Smith, Lady Lamb, June Christie, and of course, Brantford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.